Welcome to the Infinite Improvisation Podcast, Adventures in Music and Creativity. I am Steve Tressler and joined, as always, by Lauren Best. Hey, Lauren. Hi. It's a pleasure to be back. Today, I wanted to share something with you to kick off a discussion. This is a clip from one of my uh, most important teachers, and he's a author and composer, performer. Uh, W.A. Matthew is his, I was known as an author, those who followed his, his days as a jazz arranger and writer and down is Bill Matthew. Now he's known as Alaudin Matthew. And he wrote this book called Harmonic Experience, which is really a musical Bible for me. This description of this book, um, you know, he says, the rules of music, including counterpoint and harmony, were not formed in our brains, but in the resonance chambers of our bodies. Hmm. And his theory of music reconciles the ancient system of just intonation with the modern system of 12-tone equal temperament. So it's... Um, and finding ways to integrate, you know, some of the acoustics and the science, but with our own emotional responses to the sounds and how, as humans, we perceive certain things as feeling one way or another. But it's very, it's amazing. We could do a whole episode, whole series on that. And it's, um, it gets, uh, gets into the weeds. But he also has a series of books that are intended more for general audiences, so this one's, here's a clip of, this is from the listening book. Uh, and he describes these as exercises designed to help you explore and expand your capacity for listening, appreciate the connection between sound, music, and everyday life, and discover the creative possibilities of music making. And these are for general audiences, people who don't consider themselves musicians. Anyway, this is, uh, this is our, uh, up our alley, that, that description. Yeah, I was going to say, you know what's up my alley. <laughs> yeah. And... But there's excerpts of this that he recorded as an audiobook, which I've enjoyed much more than uh, the experience of of uh, reading the physical book, which you'll hmm. hear in a second. So here's a short excerpt. They're just like a series of little uh, little essays or vignettes on life and music. So here is here's one for you. Technique and the eraser trick. I am grabbing hold of two pencils, one in each fist. With the eraser ends, I am improvising a piece, using my wrists and two stumps of rubber. How do I do that? notes to play. I know what I'm hearing and where to find the corresponding notes on the keyboard. Obviously, one can always use more technique. I surely could, despite the arduous years of working for what I have. The farther along you are in music, the more motivated you are to practice for speed, strength, and precision. But technique is rarely your limit. The weak link is the ear. What is truly needed is to hear more deeply and to know more precisely where you are on the coordinates of musical space and time. When you can play what you hear, you will know naturally what technique to practice, and you will want to. This is where a teacher sensitive to your personal search can be most helpful. But sound is the first teacher. Let it be what guides you, 
not the idea of being a brilliant player. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> of course, I have thoughts. Yeah, but what what were you thinking? What uh, do you want to unravel a little more? Kind of. Yeah, well, one thing off the bat because I had read this book too, but hearing the experience of reading about him putting erasers on the keyboard is less compelling than actually hearing that as the mm-hmm. um, as the soundtrack uh, mm-hmm. for the piece. But it gets into giving yourself a musical limitation to be creative, but also this mm-hmm. idea of following what we hear or as our listeners may know the word audiation you know Mm pre-hearing in your head and then matching that and using that to dictate the technique to work on rather than i mean yeah those of us in the Mm -hmm. realm of music education lots of technique for technique's sake but i found that a, a compelling way of how he how he lays that out for us about being led by our by our ear and our intuition mm-hmm it reminded me, like I started thinking of voice and like his example as it would relate to voice rather than piano and sort mm-hmm. of um, just as he said, you know, I know I hear notes and then I play them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was thinking about how uh, like for a beginner piano student to say that is often like they're like that I can't like I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that you know but it sorry this is I know I'm not getting to voice yet however mm-hmm. <laughs> what I was thinking is that it's uh it reminded me a bit of eyes closed improvisation mm-hmm. um especially for a beginner again who doesn't necessarily like think that they have a a really solid like geographic understanding of the keyboard with their eyes closed and I think that um like to me, that seems like somewhat comparable to the to, to the pencils in some ways. Mm. I'm I, now I want to try kind of mm. eyes closed with pencils too. Oh, yeah, um, but with voice, it also made me think of. I heard the idea recently of the outward facing voice, mm. and then an inward facing voice being that we hear our own voices differently than the world hears them mm-hmm. because of bone conduction. Interestingly, our brain actually like shuts off our hearing when we speak like we the the example that was given was that like we hear our voices but we don't listen to our voices Mm. like we kind of ignore the actual sound of our voice while we hear it anyways and then the idea of like an inner voice like an inner inner voice right Mm. (laughs) um in terms of like what you can just imagine or a dialogue you can have Mm. with yourself that is um not actually spoken What's that? What's that called? How we hear it? What was the term you used? How we hear things differently than, or the cause of hearing our oh, voice differently? Well, through bone conduction oh, is bone part conduction. of it. So because bone conduct, yeah, like because much of what we hear of our voice is transmitted through our bones to our ears, not mm-hmm. through, like actually hearing it, mm-hmm. um, and that has the effect of slowing down some of the frequencies. So we actually tend to, for that reason, also think our voice is always lower than it actually is, which is partially mm. why on recordings we always are, I mean, except for those who learn to anticipate it, but like yeah. it, we, we, our perception while we're speaking is that our voice is lower or has a different kind of resonance mm. than when we're hearing it back. Yeah, I know. When I was growing up, my mom would never want to hear herself on the answering machine or something. I don't really sound like that. Yeah. 
That's what, Which, yeah, that's what we sound like. But when you do things like edit your own podcast, you get used to it, the sound of your voice. and Yeah, which I guess leads you to like anticipate what it will, mm-hmm. like you can kind of predict what they will sound like. I just thought of something though, like our, like we, when we're monitoring, right? Like we do get our voice through mm-hmm. in a different way through more than mm-hmm. just bone conduction. But I think... I still don't like. I still, I still have a bias. Maybe if I both put both ear cups on, I'll think differently. Mm. <laughs> but I still have a bias towards that, like um, believing it has that more like lower resonance, even mm. even with monitoring. I think. Yeah, and playing a wind instrument too, it it always sounds different because a mm-hmm. lot of the sound is where your ears are positioned, not mm-hmm. the ideal spot to hear all the sound that's going away from you. So sometimes you hear horn players play against the wall or into the corner to hear it bounce back and. Yeah, when I hear myself on recordings, it's different than what it sounds like in person. But I've made yeah. some decisions about how I play and even equipment so that it'll record, you know, that the the recording or what's coming out the other end is what I want it to sound like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's when you bring up, yeah, for a beginner not being able to necessarily pre-hear what they're going to play, and that's a, I mean, it's an important skill to be able to. As instrumentalists sing what you play and play what you sing and you know I have some students that are having a hard time you know improvising a jazz solo but they can sing one and we go through this process of let's sing something and listen and record it and then transcribe it and be able to copy mm. what we're singing and making that connection so you have that art farmer would call it instant touch like you audiate mm-hmm. it and then you play it and I think that's a super I mean that that's what Wood Matthew was getting to on on that but then when are the times where that may not be the appropriate uh, approach. Some people think maybe it always needs to be that way, that direct connection. But there are times where you might experiment. You might not know what it's going to sound like before you play. And if you are only, I've been thinking about this, if you're only following intuition, what am I pre-hearing? Sometimes that leads us down similar paths every time. Like to break mm. out to break out a pattern, sometimes it takes a surprise. And I was thinking about this, contrasting with... Uh, avant-garde pianist Cecil Taylor. You know, this mm. amazing uh, solo piano performances that some of them are highly dissonant and totally improvised. And I heard this quote attributed to him. I'm not sure where it's from or if it's just hearsay. But someone said, oh, are you hearing what you're playing before you play it? And he said, well, if I could hear it, why would I want to play it? <laughs> to him, that's not interesting. You hear it and then play yeah, what yeah. you're going to hear rather than like, well, let me play something I don't hear and see what it's mm. like and build a piece around that. Mm. And I've improvised that way on piano, especially with eyes closed, like deliberately Mm -hmm. trying to surprise myself so Mm -hmm. that it's actually kind of frustrating sometimes Mm -hmm. because I'll like start to go in a direction and I do start kind of Mm pre-hearing and then it keeps like, it keeps catching me like differently Mm -hmm. than where I, than where I supposed to go. Um, but it, uh. I don't know. I think I think it can I think it can be more fun that way sometimes mm-hmm. and and really excited. I mean, I think it's really exciting when I can kind of use that to put myself in a place I'm not expecting, but then mm-hmm. like bring more, um, I guess like pre-heard or in- like feel like I'm then I can pick up the thread. I guess is mm-hmm. what I mean. Yeah, um, and I don't think Matthew would disagree with that approach. And I'm sure at certain times you pre-hear it and then you play something that maybe wasn't what you heard, and then that takes you, and that takes you mm-hmm. somewhere else. Well, and also on the piano, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of fingers to pre-hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I, and with, and with, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, 
the way he spoke about that with the pencils mm-hmm. to me and again i don't mean to like like no shade mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was almost like he was like oh well i hear it so whether it's my fingers or pencils like mm-hmm. it's just what i hear you know yeah, what i mean yeah. but like you know if i'm if I'm playing piano with more fingers than that, like I'm not consciously thinking through what I hear in terms of like all of the, uh, like all of the like harmonies and things like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes I'll surprise myself by like suspending a chord and Mm. I didn't like think, Oh, I'm hearing a suspended chord and that's what I'm going to do. Like I just kind of like on a, on a non, on a neither audiated level nor like Mm -hmm. pre-planned level, but nor is it an accident. Like I end up doing that. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not quite a habit. It's like an mm-hmm. in, instinctual, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, people will ask me too, uh, things I'm playing on saxophone. Oh, can you hear everything you're playing? And I'm like, well, like pre hear and be able to sing everything. Uh, absolutely not. But there are certain elements of like things that you can pre hear. Like I might pre hear the rhythm or the shape or a certain texture or a timbre. And I might not be able And some things may be more complicated than I could actually sing and that's something to work to be able to sing all of those things and there's some musicians who can absolutely but i might pre-hear you know the the direction or the the shape of the melody that i'm playing or the the rhythms or pre-hearing some of these other elements not just being able to sing the pitches like there's so much more to it you can pre-hear some of these other elements where maybe the pitch itself Mm. isn't the most important element yeah totally totally and that was a thought i kind of had too with the with the pencil thing is just is that if I were to adopt that exercise mm-hmm. <laughs> right with a student say right or myself mm-hmm. I think some of that pre-hearing stuff would be more like like say like the general direction the general like mm-hmm. are we are we high are we low like and I find I find sometimes um without pre-hearing specifically like as you're saying like some of the general feeling or the general tone like um that that's the direction we go. And I think like the novelty of playing with things that aren't like usual technique <laughs> is mm-hmm. also, he didn't talk a lot about that in, in there, even though like, obviously that was, mm-hmm. that was the point of it. But like the, the, there's lots of things I think you can do with that pre-heard or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I think his main point, I mean, this sort of directed people who are obsessed with technique Right, which yeah. you know, okay. Well, how can I play faster and cleaner and more dazzling? When I mean, I'm right with for a lot of people. Yeah, the missing things like, well, what are you pre-hearing? What what can we have the technique serve the music rather than just mm. let's just build all this technique? You know, yeah. I'm totally on board with that. And there are times, yeah, where I'm writing music, where I'll hear, I'll sing something and then match it, or I'm trying to find a chord and I'll sing down the notes and find it. So like, I think it's a mm-hmm. super important skill. Or you know, to those students that I'm working on, you know, I'm much less comfortable singing than playing but there's times where i will yeah where i can just sing a lot you know playing keyboard i don't have dazzling technique on the on mm. the keyboard but if i'm hearing hearing melodies or a line i can often just play along mm. and there are times where yeah leading with the ear i've heard that as a, a term yeah le- leading with your ear and having the technique of your instrument serve what you're hearing in your head mm. it's like super important but i think there are times where that's not that's not like the only approach we're going to mm-hmm. use as creative musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not throwing shade. It's like that's an approach to use well, and was, important to develop. But yeah, and it was like a specific example mm-hmm. um, that, like that, like he was giving in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, for some reason, I think about um, like improvising with a drone, which I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of. 
I've, I'm, I'm sure I've told you about mm-hmm. like improvising with an electric toothbrush or like oh. the, the coffee machine yeah. or like any, you know, things that vibrate. Um, and I find that uh, like young students often really enjoy the drones too, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they get it right. Like it's, they can, and they can start playing with it. And um, anyway, I was, I was thinking of uh, like improvising melodies and this didn't, wouldn't have to be a drone, but like, a drone so that you're not uh, like thinking in, in chord progressions as much is mm-hmm. what is, was my thought but improvising melodies and then actually voc- like in your mind <laughs> hear, pre-hearing melodies but then vocally improvising or with your instrument not what you pre-heard but a response to what you heard so creating having mm-hmm. your audiation act as like one voice or like one player mm-hmm. and then have your actual playing like kind of try to interact with that mm. Yeah, I know one of my teachers, Kung Vu, would say when you're practicing long tones, you know, audiate a different note and have the audiation be louder than what you're actually playing. <laughs> so that's uh, that's interesting. Or yeah, a friend that worked with Kaylee Eaton, we were like facilitating a workshop together and we were doing one exercise where whatever your intuition would say, oh, let's go in this direction, to stop and do the exact opposite. Mm. And then suddenly, th- then it change to a much more dynamic, oh, I'm just going to kind of, you know, blend into the texture here. It's like, no, I'm going to be super disruptive. And then, <laughs> okay, I'm going to do that again. Oh, and then, so it takes a lot of, uh, takes some executive function to do that, to like, okay, now I'm going to do the opposite. But then suddenly you would still be reacting to what you're hearing. So it's not, you weren't shutting off your ears. Hmm. Um, but sometimes, yeah, we have to surprise ourselves or, and there are certain times we use our instrument or technique to build. There may be certain things that we don't pre-hear, like certain sounds that might be intriguing, but we're not going to be able to sing them and play them. And in which mm. case, we'll have to use the technique in our instruments to put that sound in our ear over and over again until we might start to, pre, to pre-hear to it. Mm. Um, yeah, and it can be, it, it's like a, strengthening the muscle in different kinds mm-hmm. of ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> like different kinds of exercises for that mm-hmm. mental audiation muscle mm-hmm. um but, but like partially the audiation of it but also like the the challenge of it <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know what i mean like how it's like it's hard at times to um like our brains like will like i'm thinking for example of someone who tries to sing a harmony part and ends up like switching to the melody because it's around them right um yeah. and it's it's at a like it it's it, it's more effort <laughs> to, to, to maintain that separate harmony part. Sometimes even if there's, you know, people with you, but at a certain mm-hmm. point that effort and maintaining that is like a satisfaction of itself. Mm-hmm. And it still would be kind of like easier to flip to the melody mm-hmm. in a way, right? Like singing in a choir, mm-hmm. right? Like right. that might actually be less cognitively demanding for you, right? Like that might mm-hmm. be an easier thing, but like you've learned to like enjoy, it has gotten easier for you through practice, but you've also mm-hmm. learned to like enjoy this sort of um, tightrope, tight, tight rope walk of mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah, we did some of those intuitive melodies live on the show and that's very much following your audiation for pitch, you know, as mm-hmm. a way for like listening for the next thing. I mean, this. Like this particular example, I actually like playing for college students too, ones who are t- tend to be more self-conscious and obsessed about comparing themselves to other people with technique. Mm. And I mean, that's one thing where he's so magical. It's like, okay, you know, stripping away all these levels of whether it's ego or associating that, oh, I'm this kind of musician or I have these kind of skills and just like getting back to sound and and listening mm. and finding your own music in your own in your own voice, which is really, yeah, really profound for 
and musicians from all different levels. You know, he he wants to be accessible to people who, you know, don't consider themselves musicians. Or mm. um, there's one where he. Uh, oh, let's see if I can pull this one up. It it's the uh, the other one that really stuck with me is his uh, tone deaf choir. If I told you about this, maybe I don't know. Uh, I don't... Yeah, I believe that is also in the uh, in the ebook tone deaf choir. I think he's back to fingers. I'm not sure. The Tone Deaf Choir. Nobody is tone deaf, but people who think they are, maybe one in 20, see themselves standing outside in the snow watching normal people in pretty houses singing at the dinner table. They think they are missing something everyone else has. When God was passing out ears, they were standing behind the door. From time to time, I teach tone-deaf classes. Such a class is best taught cooperatively by a man and a woman in a group of about ten. So I first sign up a teaching partner, then I advertise that I am looking for real turkeys, the ones who can't sing a note, couldn't carry a tune in a basket. The first day is spent sitting in a circle, each person telling his or her horror story. I'm the turkey you were looking for. No, that's me. I thought I was. After a while, it becomes clear that everyone has the same story to tell. There's a lot of laughing, whoops of recognition. Someone breaks down. Everyone sobs. Relief. More laughing. By the time we've gone around the circle, the collective story is rich with detail. People learn at different rates of speed. If, in your early student life, you were slightly slower to perceive pitch relationship, it wasn't long before you were given by your peers or an insensitive teacher the identity of the one who can't sing. Here are some universal epitaphs. Do you call that singing? Stop that noise! Anyway, he goes on. This, this one's quite a bit longer. Uh, but yeah, he puts an ad in the paper and then they have that you know, group therapy moment where everyone's telling their stories and they end up singing in two parts, you know, learning how to move tones up and down like a siren or, or holding it, mm. holding it straight like a dial tone, as he says. But mm-hmm. for someone reference dial tones to groups of kids, they don't know what's, what's going on. But then overall, <laughs> then yeah, by the end they have these performances, you know, in, in two parts. Yeah, so that, that's yeah, that's just another n- another story yeah, from yeah. from well, the book that really that that sticks out. Yeah, so a lot of these in this particular book, it's more of the you know chicken chicken soup for the uh, for the musician soul. But yeah, it's some pretty amazing stories. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of trying to get people who aren't comfortable singing singing, mm-hmm. and it's so important. And I hear these horror stories too, and it's like, it's uh, yeah, it's I just. Whatever we got to do to peel back the layers of the, of that onion, yeah. like I think, um, particularly with singing, mm-hmm. uh, because I I think that well because I I don't think that like I know that vocalization can benefit people so much. Um, like, did you know that the thyroid and the voice box are like physically like super interrelated, and that we vibrate our thyroid when we vocalize? Wow. Not to mention, like, we breathe differently when we vocalize as well. So 
you know, I think that anytime we can get a little extra vocalization in someone's life for the rest of their life, I'm all for it. So, yeah. so more tone deaf choirs, although I don't know, I feel like even though you would get people who felt welcomed, I don't know if I could perpetuate the tone deaf myth by having a tone deaf choir myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if you actually if called it that or people, I, I, yeah, uh, But that that's interesting. Yeah, that yeah, there's that thing that there's not just average people aren't tone deaf. I mean, there are people that have audio processing. Dis- I mean, there are some, you know, the the subset of people that have, um, you know, kind of audio processing in a way that you can't match pitch. That that is like infinitesimally small compared to people who just sounded bad singing at church and someone said, "Oh, maybe you can just pretend like you're singing. You must be tone deaf." Yeah, uh, that you know, one's or the tell- worst. Or telling someone pretend. they don't have telling someone they don't have rhythm and then assuming that they just can't. You know that they can't they can't hold a beat or they can't dance when you yeah. know, your heart's beating you're able it's to a... be able to walk you know we've got we've got rhythm that that's another another one and like just someone who's good at talking and who has practiced talking a lot and is a good talker as in like they're you know like me <laughs> I'm, I'm joking but you know like the type you're of person who who yeah. as a kid or as an adult is like able to converse with people and they or they mm. tell stories or they are the comedians of the world mm. or this or that like those people have probably been told to stop talking and asked and begged to stop talking, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, by their peers or family at some point. But, uh, like I think with, I mean, and I don't mean to diminish, like I know some people have been discouraged from telling their stories or from, you know, being telling jokes for those reasons. But I think compared to singing, we don't often don't give up talking for life. It was, my, mm. was my point. Like where it's like, if you, you know, if you do a lot of something, there's going to be some peaks and valleys of mm-hmm. the responses to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, that well, might be a good place to leave. To lots leave of cool things one. to explore. Yeah, that was, okay. That's what Getting out my pencils. Yeah. Your pencils and, um, yeah. I wonder if, uh, if our listeners have any other, like, like, similar to the pencil technique... Like my versions of the pen, go-to versions for the pencil technique would probably be like, you know, eyes closed or like even like mm. sometimes I'll just reach and play like kind of backwards on the piano. So like mm. I don't really know where things are in my usual positioning either. Mm-hmm. Like I'll kind of play with it sort of beside me to like mm-hmm. change the way I'm approaching it. Um, yeah. Could be a, or, or doing this with an instrument, pre-hearing on an instrument that you don't have much te- technique with, you know, like if I'm playing on a vibraphone or a steel drum or something where I'm like, okay, I can, you know, I know where the notes are, but I don't have the shape, you know, I don't have the shapes to rely on technique and then being able to really pre-hear, pre-hear everything. Well, in the good old one note improvisation or, Mm. you know, or a couple notes, but, um, yeah, I've been a big fan of, of doing that with, um, also like with just even clapping rhythms with another Mm -hmm. person, like, and there's no, not even any melody, like, I'm a big fan of that. Having a good clap jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, That's yeah. But yeah, if you've got any, yeah, you'd like to share, you can write to us at hello at infiniteimprovisation.com and be sure to sign up for our email list at infiniteimprovisation.com and you can be in touch with us and stay up to date on what we've got going on. Thanks for listening. Yeah, until next time.